0: Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God given destiny. We've been talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Last week I started kind of defining to you what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are all about. Now, as I've told you earlier, when God fills us with His Holy Spirit, He puts the gifts, the gifts are found in the person of the Holy Spirit. They are gifts of the Holy Spirit. What we become are the manifestors of those gifts. In the Greek, the the manifestation that you find in in Hebrews, I mean, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you see the word, he manifests as he wills. The word manifestation there is literally the dancing hand of God. You become the hands of God to do what God wants to do through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we all become those manifestors of the gifts. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we, we started talking about these things. Well, the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit just took over. We had a healing service. We're going to see more of those kind of things happen because we want to open up to the Holy Spirit. And, and listen, this is not a one-man show. I don't, I, I'm not here to do all the work. You know, well, we, that's what we pay you for. No, that's not true. I'm here. Brother John is here. Chuck is here. All of our life group leaders are here. All of our teachers are here for one purpose. And that is to do what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says. We are here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, Look around you. How many ministers do we have in here? How many ministers? Well, a whole bunch of you didn't raise your hand that are supposed to be ministers. Ought to be 100%. We're all ministers because all a minister is is a servant. We're all servants of the Most High God. We are ministers. Each one of us have something to offer to God, something to do in the body of Christ. If each one of us are doing our function, then we have a healthy body. What happens if we're not all doing our function? We're deficient. We're just like an anemic person whose blood cells are not doing what they should do. Or they're not getting enough iron or enough nutrients in their, in their system. And they become anemic. And they become weak. They're not able to do. That's what the body of Christ has become because the people of God are not being equipped to do the work of the ministry. So that's what we are here for is to equip you. So how do we do that? Everybody say, knowledge, knowledge precedes, action. precedes action. We don't know what to do until we know how to do it, right? Yeah. Amen. My, my dad was a, you know, he was a carpenter, but he was a good teacher. I worked with him for several years. And I learned a lot from my dad. I learned how to handle a hammer. I didn't know that, you know, that there was a correct way to handle a hammer. I thought you'd just take the thing and peck, 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 you know. And dad, one day I was, I was trying to get a nail started on a board. And I'm, I'm peck, peck, pecking at it. And dad says, son, let me show you something. Hold that nail. Take your hammer. Get a good aim. and Pop it one time. And then you can just drive that thing down. I learned something. It saved me a lot of time. I drove a lot of nails when I was with my dad. I got to where I could take a 20-ounce plum hammer and drive a nail down in two licks, like a 16-penny nail. You learn those things by experience. Now, someone just coming on the job, they would be like me. Peck, 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 peck. You know, until they get the swing of it. But once you get used to it, it's like somebody roofing a house, you know, that learned how to handle a hammer. They can spit those nails just like a machine. Why? Because the reason of use... They've learned how to do their job. Well, then, we got to learn how to do our job. But before we can learn how to do it, we got to learn the principles involved in correctly using those gifts. One thing I've learned, too, is, you know, when my boys were little, they were always intrigued. And I think this is normal for everybody. If you've got a power tool sitting out, you learn as a father never to leave it plugged up. Because of the natural curiosity of a child is to come and grab that power tool. You never give a four-year-old a skill saw that's plugged up. You don't put power tools in their hands. Why? Because they're not mature enough to handle it. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know the principles behind the operation or even what it's for. And so it is in the body of Christ. We don't know how to use the gifts until we know what the gifts are and earn, understand their function, okay? Now, how many have had people come and they prophesy to you, this is a prophecy? Well, a lot of times what we determine as is prophecy isn't prophecy at all. It's a word of knowledge, or it's a word of wisdom. Sometimes it's the lie of the devil. <laughs> but we got to be willing. we got to know how to discern which is truth and which isn't, and how do we know until we know the Word of God, until we begin to get the Word of God, because that's our standard. That's what we govern those things by. A lot of damage has been done to the body of Christ by the misuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've been to some holy pandemonium churches. You know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of emotional outbursts, a lot of things going on, which may look on the surface to be spiritual, but it's nothing but soulish. At the foundation of it, because if we do something that only stirs the emotions and doesn't minister to the spirit, that's a soulish thing. Anybody ever been in those kind of things? With a lot of hooping and hollering and everything else, and as soon as you walk out the door, it's all over. I remember one time we were when I was a youth pastor, we were having our meeting because I was I was asked to be on the on the statewide leadership team. And every year we would get together and we would plan our calendar. And I remember we sat down and the district's uh, youth representative gets out of this calendar and we go down the list of things and we get to the youth camp. And he said, all right, now we're going to talk about youth camp. I said, okay, let's talk about it. He said, how many of y'all are coming this year? I said, I'm not coming. He looked at me like I had just blasphemed God or something. Because I'd taken kids to the youth camps before. You know, I'd been faithful to come and help them raise money and everything else. It wasn't, it w- it wasn't cheap to take a, a child to youth camp. And we would go, and, and we would jump to all the hoops and do all the things, you know, and, and play all the games. And then we'd get together at night, and we would, you know, ham it up and have a glorious service. And the kids would be laying around slain in the Spirit on the floor and all that stuff and all hallelujah and this good stuff. And as soon as we would load up on the van and we would drive away from the camp, it's like you look in the rearview mirror and that's the last it was said of it till the next year. Nothing lasting took place. It was all just a bunch of emotional stuff that happened. And so I told him, I said, look, man, I'm I'm not going to help my kids raise money and, and bust our keister to try to raise all this money to come to camp. And we do all this stuff, and we tell the kids, this is what you ought to be doing. You ought to be going out witnessing. You ought to be doing all these things. And we tell them all the things they should be doing, but we don't tell them how. We don't show them how. He said, well, what do you recommend? I said, I think that we ought to load the kids up rather than taking them out in the middle of the bushes somewhere, away from everybody else, take them to a place that needs ministry, pour into them how to do ministry, then take them out and let them do it. He's like, wow, what would you call something like that? I said, well, how about street camp? He said, I like it. So that that street camp concept was born that day in that meeting. And what we did is we started selecting cities. We went to Charlotte. We went to Winston-Salem. We went to Dunn, North Carolina. We went to a little place out near the coast. We went all over the state. We even did it here in Salisbury a couple of times. But what happened was we would take the kids, we would spend time pouring into them how to do ministry, how to witness to people, how to share the gospel. We would try to help them to get over the intimidation factor, take them out to a park, do puppetry, minister to kids, and all these kind of things. And the kids were really starting to plug into it. And we took a group over to Greensboro one particular time. And over there, we were out in a park. There were probably, I would say, maybe 300 people out there at this park. Because what we did, we took coloring sheets, and we did a coloring contest, and we gave like, you know, first, second, third prize, which $5 for first prize, $10 second, a $20 prize for the third prize. And we, we, you know, best picture, we would let the kids judge it and give the best picture and all this stuff. So we took these things out to the projects and we passed these things around. And we were amazed at how many mothers brought their kids to get that prize. You know, 20 bucks back then was a lot of money. Still is today. But they would bring the money. They'd bring their kids out there and stand there with them to make sure that they got that coloring sheet. That they make sure they stayed in the lines and everything else, you know. I think some of them got some help even. But, you know, what it did is it drew them out. And we were there, and the kids were doing puppetry and stuff, and they started talking about the power of God, how God is able to do anything. And as they're talking about how the power of God and and how much God was able to do all this stuff, one of the kids came up to the front, and they asked one one of the young people there a question. They said, can God do anything? And they're like, yes, he can. Can God heal my mommy and daddy of AIDS? wow. And the kids didn't hesitate. They didn't even blink. Yes, he can. I get choked up talking about it. Because that couple, they went back and got the mother and father and they came up. And the kids gathered around them. They even let the puppets lay hands on them. And they prayed for them. A simple prayer of healing. I want to tell you something. God did something. That couple got healed of AIDS. (laughs) That couple got plugged into the church. We were we were rep- there representing one of the churches there in Greensboro. That couple got plugged into the church. They brought thirty other couples from their pro- from the projects from the from the housing project they were in to the church. Got plugged into the church. That's not all we saw. We saw God do some amazing things. We saw a woman that was rescued from an attempted suicide. She had, she passed by. We were doing a ministry. We had the opportunity to set up in a church parking lot. The church didn't know us very well. It was a Baptist church that let us sit up in their parking lot. Next year they wouldn't let us do it because some of the things that happened. Some of the kids were out there praising God in tongues and stuff. They didn't like it. But hey, it's what happened. But there was a woman who was walking down the street. She looked very depressed. Well, the kids were grabbing everybody that passed by. And they started talking to this woman. As they're ministering to her, the woman started to cry. And they asked her, what's wrong? And she had on a... Uh, it was hot outside, but she had on a long coat. She reached in the coat of her pocket, and she produced a 38 revolver. She said, I was going. There's a bridge right down the street from where we were. She said, I was going to go under that bridge, and I was going to take my life because my life isn't worth living. Well, the kids ministered to her. She got saved. The next thing we know, she's standing over there. She took her coat off. She's over there worshiping God with her hands raised, and praising God. And, and just, there was another girl that was walking down the street, and there was a, there was a, I guess they call it a place, you know, a club that has exotic dancers. You know what that means? Just exotic. They take their clothes off, and they dance, you know. But anyway, she worked in that place. And she's coming by, and she sees us up there. She hears the music. She comes up into the parking lot. And the kids just gather around and start ministering to her. Guess what happened? She got saved. She gave her life to Jesus. She never went to work that night. She went back home. Radically changed. She got plugged into that church. You see, what can happen when we allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us, to be the dancing hand of God, to touch the lives of people? Sometimes we think that we have to be this powerhouse evangelist to be effective for God. No, we don't. You are a powerhouse evangelist just by the life you live. If you're living for Jesus, if you're letting your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, you're being an effective evangelist if you will be willing to open up and just allow God to use you to lay your hands gently on someone and pray for them to be healed. You're using your gifts if you will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and let Him tell you what's going on in somebody's life, and you can share with them what God is saying. And sometimes you can even give them a directive, which is the word of wisdom. Now, we, we talked about these things some in length, and I'm going to read a scripture to you. You probably know it already, but just for clarity's sake, I'm going to read it anyway. It's found in the New American Standard Bible. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Everybody say the same Spirit. Same spirit. God is a God of variety, but He has the same Spirit. But the same God, who works all things in his person, but each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. might say, the dancing, the dancing hand of God. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, which is the dancing hand of God. When we think of a dancing hand, what do you think of? You think of someone who's conducting an orchestra. And God is using you to bring order. When we become the dancing hand of God, He's using you to set things straight. Things that the enemy has tried to destroy, things the enemy has tried to undermine, God is using you to bring life to dead situations. You are the finger of God, you're the dancing hand of God. All right? And then for the common good, for the one is given the word of wisdom, which is what? It's the same as a word of knowledge. It's a word spoken from God through someone else to another individual or persons that has a directive connected to it. Thus says the Lord, and here's what you are to do about it, okay? God will reveal something that's going on and then give us wisdom on how to handle it. Another one is the word of knowledge. Now, the word of knowledge is like the word of wisdom, except it's just the word of God is speaking. He knows something. Sometimes God has spoken to someone, a word of knowledge that nobody else knew, only God knew, but God knows everything. But he will speak to that person, and he'll read your mail, and he'll tell you things if you will listen. So one is given the word of knowledge by the same spirit, okay? And to another, faith. Now, we're not just talking about saving faith. You're saved by grace through faith, right? You have to have faith to believe God in order to be saved. But we're talking about that otherly kind of faith that happens when there's like a surge of faith and confidence in you that no matter what happens, God is doing something, you know? And you have those moments, you know, that it's, it's not like we just walk around and we just got this, you know, Paul had that experience in Lystra where there was a man who was sitting and listening to Paul preach. And we don't know how long he'd been preaching, but this man was lame in his feet and God and Paul... All of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit spoke and said, that man has faith to be healed. And he says, I perceive that you have faith to be healed. Stand up and be healed in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. And he did. See, God was speaking. There was a word of knowledge from Paul. That man had faith to be healed. But the word of faith or the, the exercise of faith was in that man. He had faith to be healed. There are other times when, when faith has, has arisen, and this is like Peter and John, where they're going into the temple, when the man was sitting there with lame feet. And there are several things that happen all of a sudden. You know, they've been going, day by day, they've gone by the same man all the time. You know, I don't know how long they've done that, because it was their practice. Every day, at the same time, go to the same place to pray. But this particular day was different than any other day. It's because the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter, said, see that man there? I want to touch him. And Peter stops, and he looks at the man, and the man's like, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And he said, look, I don't have any money, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, the moment he did that, there were seven things in operation, right? First of all, it was the gift of the word of knowledge. I perceive, you know, you, that I don't have any money, but God's getting ready to do something for you. All right? Now, the word of knowledge is in operation. Now, the gift of faith. Silver and gold I don't have, but I got something that you need. I'm going to give it to you. Now, faith also in that man, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He could have resisted. He could have pulled his hand back and said, I'm not getting up, man. You're going to ruin my thing here. I got it going on, bro. I'm, I'm collecting, okay? He didn't do that. He stood up. So the gift of faith. And the working of miracles. There was a miracle that took place because it said his ankle straightened. And the man who had never walked before in his life all of a sudden began leaping and dancing and praising the Lord. You see, all these gifts were in operation. But who was it that was doing the operating? Well, there there was a concert going on. The dancing hand of God was happening. Because that man, when he looked at Peter and John, he had faith in what God was doing through them. But they had faith that God was going to use them, right? So we see there was a concert happening. All of of those things working together. And God was doing something. So that's how it works. That's how God works. And then we have, you know, we have those, those different gifts. And they're characterized. They're categorized. As revelation gifts, which is the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits. Then there are the power gifts, which is faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healings, the gifts of inspiration, prophecy speaking in other tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. I'm not going to go through all these things because we did that last week. But I'm going to pick up where we left off. And I think that we had stopped at the gifts of healings. Everybody say the gifts of healings. Gifts of healing. Notice I said gifts of healings. It's plural, not singular, because if it was the gift of healing, you could go around and say, well, I have the gift of healing, be healed. And we could go empty out the hospitals because we had the gift of healing. No, it's the gifts of healings that are manifested at different times in different places by different individuals. Some people receive the manifestation of the gifts of healings for themselves just by standing on the Word of God and trusting God. I think about Kenneth Hagan, Dr. Kenneth E. Hagan, who who had 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 a heart defect in his body and wasn't supposed to live past his 17th birthday, but he learned by reading the Bible. Nobody else would told him because when he would talk to his pastor about healing, he would tell him that was for then and not for now. That was for those days, but we don't need that because we got the Bible now. If you die, you're going to go to heaven and everything's going to be all right. But he didn't see it that way because that's not what the Bible said. And so Kenneth Hagin, through reading the scripture, learn that by his stripes we were healed. He learned that what Jesus did, he did it not because of, of him, or what he needed, because of what we needed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes you were healed. And he says, if he are healed, that's me, I are one. What he read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says that who himself bare our sins in his own body, that we being dead to sins might live unto righteousness, and by whose stripes you were healed. He said, that's me. And what he read in, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 36, and it says, I am the God that healeth thee. When he saw that, he says, I am the God that healeth thee. He said, I'm thee, I'm me. And when he saw that Jesus, you know, whoever they brought to Jesus was healed, he had compassion only healed them all. And even the woman who had the issue of blood, you know, Jesus didn't do anything to reach out to her, say, come to me or anything else. She heard about Jesus and she just thought in her mind, if I can just get close enough to just touch the hem of his garment. You see, Jesus wore a prayer shawl. He was a Jew. He was a rabbi. If I can just get close enough to touch his prayer cell, if I can just get that close. I know that I can be healed. Did she say, if there's a possibility, I might be healed? She didn't say that, did she? I know. So, the gift of faith was in operation in her. So, when Jesus passed by... Even though there was a crowd, and she knew that walking through that crowd, she was breaking a lot of commandments and a lot of ritualistic laws that they had governing a woman who had an issue of blood. A woman, first of all, should not be touching another man. That's that's the first thing she shouldn't be doing. And if she had an issue of blood, she wasn't supposed to touch anyone because she was unclean. And she bled constantly, so she was constantly unclean. She should not have been reaching out to Jesus because he was a rabbi. It was unlawful for a woman to touch a rabbi but she said if I can just touch his prayer shawl I can get that close I will be healed so she snuck up behind him and I could just see Jesus walking away through the crowd and she just kind of snuck up behind him and just touched his prayer shawl (laughs) when she she did instantly the dunamis the power of the Holy Spirit went into her and Jesus said, Who touched me? What do you mean, Rabbi? Who touched you? Look at look around you. Look at all these people. We're being pressed in on every side. And you ask, Who touched you? He says, Somebody made a withdrawal. <laughs> he said, Power, virtue is gone out of me. When you see that word virtue, it is the same. Greek word that is used in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, and you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witness unto me. That word is dunamis. He said, dunamis has left me. She made a withdrawal. The power of God, the Spirit of God, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. She made a withdrawal. She made a demand on Jesus. And Jesus turned around. He says, and she come up to him she was probably, I would have been, I would have been squalling my eyes out. She came up, Jesus, it was me. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Woo! Your faith has made you whole. She was instantly healed. You see, she made a withdrawal on the power of God. And a lot of times people aren't healed because we look at the checkbook we see that it's all filled out and signed. But then we look at it and say, mm, that's not for me. And we walk away and we leave it. Jesus has signed the check in his own blood. He's paid the price with stripes on his back. He's done everything he can possibly do for you to be healed. Now the rest is up to you. This woman went to him In faith, believing that if she could just touch him, she would be healed. Where are you in your faith? Well, we come sometimes and we'll say, well, if somebody, God, if you'll set things up, if the person over on the right-hand side sitting two rows from the back will come over and lay their hands on my head and not on my shoulders, put them right here, Lord, then I might be healed. That's kind of the way we size things up, right? It doesn't work that way. It's when we have faith to receive what God has for us. Faith releases the power of God. And so, here's the word for gifts of healings. Let me me give them to you, okay? It is the charismata, lamatan. charismata, ematon, charismata, ematon. It means gifts of healings are plural, the events of healings themselves which sick, sick persons receive. So we see the charismata. The charismata is the outflow of the goodness and the power and the graces of God. That's what brings the healing. How many would say God's a good God? Oh, yeah. All right. People ask all the time, you think it's God's will for me to be healed? Oh, yeah. No, God wants you to be sick. <laughs> I mean, it was all a show that Jesus did. It's just so we could have the passion movie and stuff, you know. <laughs> Nah, he didn't really do that for you. I mean, he did it for that person, but not for you, right? No, that's not the way it works. He did it for all of us. Whosoever will, that same whosoever will applies to salvation, applies to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, applies to healing, applies to all of these things that God has given to us. We have to receive them by faith. Faith is standing like this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is. Everybody say, faith is. is. What is faith? It's the substance. It is the substance. But I don't see anything. I don't feel anything. You don't have to. Faith is. But, 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 but what? You know, get over the buts. Faith is. It's not faith is, but it is faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not yet seen. And sometimes the enemy will begin to plague our minds. Well, 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 well what about? What, uh, what about? And he clouds our thinking so that we don't connect with God in the area of faith. Healing, the gifts of healings. Now, that's why God needs someone else sometimes. When we stand weak in our own faith, God will use another person in order to increase our faith. Why? Because where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I also in the midst. If any two of you agree on anything that you ask of the Father in my name, I will do it. Sometimes it takes more than one. Sometimes it takes two. Sometimes it takes a crowd. I don't understand that. I just know that when I, when I was diagnosed with hepatitis C and and I was praying about things. I didn't know which direction to go, man. I was lost in the fog. And I'm first of all, I'm confused as to why I had the disease in the first place. I mean, I'd, I'd done some stupid things when I was a teenager and, and all of those things. And I thought all that stuff was behind me. And 25 years later, I find out I've got hepatitis C as a result of the stupid things I did back then. I'm thinking, God, are you trying to punish me or something? No. It's just, listen, everybody say this with me. Every deed deed. sows a seed. I sowed seed in my grass last fall. I noticed the other day that some of it's starting to germinate and come up. This is seed I planted a year ago. But it's just now starting to come up. Sometimes the germination process takes... Different times, different ways, and sometimes it doesn't manifest. I think the germination was taking place a long time ago. It just took a long time for it to break through. The same with this thing that was in my body. I didn't know it was there. And when I talked to the physician about it, he said it can lie dormant in your system for decades and nobody will ever know it. Then all of a sudden it will manifest itself. I was like, wow, because I was ready to tell somebody crazy when they told me that I possibly had the disease. And when I found out I had it, I was like, oh, man. But you know what? It all wasn't lost because it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for God to prove His faithfulness. Amen. And so I was praying about it, and so one Sunday, one, one morning, we were at our EFI conference in, in 2000. And we were down in Myrtle Beach, where we were this year, except we were at another location. And um, I was sitting out on the veranda outside a hotel room, and I'm praying, I'm asking God, what should I do about this? Lord, because the doctors had said, you need to do this and this and this. You need to take this, Interferon, and Rob and da-da-da-da. And I talked to some people who had done it, and they're like, don't take it, don't take it, die. Just go ahead and tell them to shoot you. It's bad. It was bad stuff. It really was. And so I'm praying. I'm asking God, you know, what should I do, Lord? And, and just as clear as a bell, it's just like I'm talking to you right now. Sitting out on that veranda, the Holy Spirit asked me a question. What percentage of a cure is the doctor giving you? And I said it out loud. I said 40%. And Jesus said, the Holy Spirit said to me, if you will trust me, I'll give you 100%. God's 100%er. He's all in. So I said, I'll trust you, Lord. So we left that morning and we went to the meeting. And I'll never forget sitting in the meeting there that morning. And, and David also, Brooke, who's also one of our teachers in, in, in our classes that we have in the Impact School of, of, of Ministry, he was, he was ministering that morning, and David is just one of the most mild-natured. Though he's from Tennessee, he's not one of those, hey-ya! He's like, you know, he's really <laughs> just talking about the love of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the power of God. And he says, there are some of you this morning, he says, God is telling me, and I'm going to call out certain diseases, and if you have that disease... The blood of Jesus, the, the power of God has covered them all. He said, but if I call out that disease, I want you to get up and come up here. He said, I want to pray for them specifically one by one. And I'm sitting beside my wife, and she's got sharp elbows, as I found out. Because, you know, he called two or three of those that had cancer and those that had heart disease and those that had bunions and, you know, warts. And, I mean, he's going through all of these things, praying for people. And I'm sitting there, Becky's going, come on up there, going up there. And I'm like, no, he hadn't <laughs> called out hepatitis yet. <laughs> he hadn't even gotten close. I mean, he touched every area of the body but the liver. He needs to just... So she said, going up there, going up there, going up there. So as time went on, you know, people laying out on the floor and slain in the spirit and everything. And finally, I'm like, either I'm going to go up or I'm going to have to go to the doctor tomorrow for bruised ribs. So I got up, and I went up there, and she's good about that. She, she hears from God sometimes, and I'm stubborn, so she has to help me. Amen. So I go up there, and, and David asked me, what, what are you up here for? I said, well, you didn't call it out, but I'm here for hepatitis C. It's no problem. And he, he, I, don't, I can't remember what he said now. But David just reached out. He didn't even touch me. He said, be healed. He just kind of did like that. And I'm not kidding you. It felt like somebody just took me and picked me up and went, just dropped me on the floor. But I didn't hit. I mean, it's really like a feather. And I just laid on the floor. It's like I couldn't get up if I wanted to, but I really didn't want to because such a sense of peace came over me. And it was like I could feel hands at work inside of me. It just felt like gentle touches inside of my body. I knew something was taking place. I Didn't know exactly what it was, but something was happening. And I was just like, have your way, Lord. And I just laid there for the longest time. I don't know how long. You know, sometimes it seems like an hour, but it might be 15 minutes. And you might think it's 15 minutes, it might be an hour. I don't know. It was just a while. But I laid there until I could get up. And I finally peeled myself up off the floor. And I come back, my wife says, you know, what happened? I said, God did something. I don't know what it was. Well, a couple of months later, I had to go in for a test, and I had to have a biopsy. Anybody know what a, bi- a liver biopsy is like? In the old days, they don't do that anymore. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> they have another method now. They have sort of a sonogram type thing. It shoots like a thing, uh, I don't know, like echo, cardio, whatever, Doodle doodle hickey doodle. I don't know what they call it, but it measures the scarring in your liver. But Back then, the only way you could determine scarring in your liver was to go in with a needle about that long and, and go all the way into the liver and pull out a piece of it, you know. And it was a, lot, a whole lot of fun. And uh, so anyway, I had to go get a liver biopsy. It was the second one. The first one, when they did the first one, I had scarring in my liver, which was about, you know, on the level of a scale of one to five, I was a four and a half, which is pretty bad. You You're getting ready for them to start looking for another <laughs> liver to put in you. And so, I had the second biopsy done, and when we got the results of it, Becky went with me to the doctor's office, and we go in, and come to, you know, she, she went through my chart and everything. She turned around to me, and she says, now, how long have you been on the treatment? And I said, excuse me? <laughs> she said, how long have you been on the treatment? I was like, what what treatment? She said, you know, the treatment. I said, I haven't been on any treatment. She says, You haven't? I said, no. She said, well, it's changed. I said, what's changed? She said, the scale has changed. I said, what are you talking about? She said, the scale. I said, what scale? She said, you were on a scale from one to five, five being the worst, and you were at a four and a half, and now you were down between a one and a half and a two, which is pretty much normal for an adult. And she said, you weren't on any treatment? I said, no. And so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot more to the story there, but I don't want to take the time to do it, but to tell you that God touched me. And then, you know, my, I went back to my doctor and he said, well, we got some time now. He said, we got some good things going on. So long story short, over a, a span of from 2000 to a couple of years ago, which judging by where I was when they discovered that I had Hep C till that time, I should have been in heaven a long time ago. But God has something for me to do, and that's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah. But I can stand before you to tell you today that, that through God and through this wonderful doctor that he sent me to, Dr. Robert Reindoller, who put me on the Harvoni treatment, I am totally healed of any hepatitis C in my body. <laughs> yes. And my liver is making an amazing recovery. Amen. So God is a healer. God heals in a lot of different ways. In the book of, 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 of Second Chronicles, Hezekiah the king had an ailment. He had a boil that came upon his body, probably was a cancer of some kind. And God told him he was going to die. He sent Isaiah to him and told him, you got 50, you're going to die. And so you know what he did when he found out he was going to die? It says he rolled over into bed, he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed. And God, he said, you know, God, I need you to heal me. I'm needed here. He talked to God. And God said, I'll touch you. He said, can you give me a sign? You know what that sign was, don't you? Yeah, made the sundial go backwards and all that stuff. God gave him a sign, but God also gave him 15 more years of life to live. You know, God's going to give me a whole lot more. You know, y'all going to be looking at my ugly mug for a long time. But God is a healer. That's what I'm telling you. He is a healer. And the gifts of healing are available inside of you. If we will allow the Holy Spirit, just be open, be ready, be available for God to use you. Now, God's not going to, you know, just, just at random say, you know, touch this person, touch that. You know, we can, heal for, we can pray for everybody. I would encourage people to do it. You know, but not everybody's going to get healed. There are a lot of factors involved in, in people's healings. I'm going to give you one of the factors that are involved in healing. And Jesus uh, healed a blind man. And, or, and, and we know that when he was healed, that, uh, well, not the blind man. I'm talking, um, let, me, let me back up a minute. I got my stories mixed up. The man who was, who was by the pool of Siloam and God, you know, when Jesus came, and, and he'd been lame, and, and he couldn't get into the water. An angel would come down, trouble the water. And this man would try to get in, and Jesus saw him, and, and he, says, he says, you know, what, what would you like? What can we do for you? He said, I'd like to be healed. And he said, well, why can't you be healed? He said, because every time the angel comes down to trouble the water, someone else gets in the water before I do. I've been laying here all a long time frustrated. And you know, Jesus touched him. He says, well... I tell you, just take up your bed and walk. So the man took up his bed and walked. He made a lot of Pharisees mad because it happened to be a Sabbath. It's another story in itself. But the man went away. And so the Pharisees are asking this man, what happened to you? Who healed you? He said, I don't know. All I know is I was laying by this thing, and this man comes along. He tells me to take up my bed and walk, and I did. Well, who was the man? I don't know. I don't know who he was. He didn't tell me who he was. I just did what he told me to do, and I got healed. Later on, Jesus came back and he saw this man. And Jesus talked to him and said, you know who I am. And he revealed himself to him. But he tells the man who had gone and told the, you know, been asked the question who he was. He says, here's what you're to do. He says, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man went immediately and told the other men, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, who it was that healed him. You can see the attitude of his heart. Sometimes we're grateful for what God has done. Sometimes we're not. And I think that man took for granted what Jesus had done for him. Because he went immediately, instead of just by faith, receiving what Jesus had done and walking away. He goes back and tells him, well, he's the one. That man over there did it. That guy right there. And sometimes when God heals us and touches us, we don't take care of ourselves. And so when we don't, a worse thing comes upon us. God wants us to use wisdom when it comes to our healing. We have the gift inside of us. Some of the gifts of of healing are are progressive and some of them are immediate. Some of them are emotional. Some of them are are spiritual. But there are gifts of healing. This is a charism of faith on people. The working of miracles. And then there's, there's prophecy. Prophecy is speaking forth what God is saying. The word Prophecy or to prophesy means to speak forth. And to prophesy is to say what God is saying and is always has a purpose that is either for encouragement, uplifting. Sometimes God uses prophecy as a warning, but not always. But those ministries are for the church. And then there's, there's the discerning of spirits. And that's where we understand through supernatural capacity whether a spirit is human or whether it's God or whether it's an evil spirit. The judgment of that spirit to know what it is. Not, not every spirit is, not every person is being controlled by an evil spirit. Well, they are. I mean, they're giving into the influence of it. But sometimes a person is absolutely possessed by an evil spirit. And that spirit has control over their life. Like the young woman that followed Paul around in Philippi. And he would go around preaching and trying to minister. And she's following around behind him yelling out, you know, hear these men. They're servants of the Most High God. And it sounded spiritual, right? But it was the wrong spirit. And finally Paul turned around and cast the spirit, spirit out of her. So they had a judgment, a judging of spirits. And then there's the one that the churches probably have the most trouble with. And that's the gift of speaking in tongues. A lot of people just won't. They will tell you that speaking in tongues is of the devil. I always ask the question. If it was, as much as I was connected with him at one time, why didn't I speak in tongues then? (laughs) I did speak in tongues. They were totally intelligible, not much appreciated. But God had to... Clean up my mouth. And you know, it's ironic, isn't it, that the first manifestation that we have of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Because the tongue is absolutely the most difficult member of our body to control. So essentially, when we yield ourselves to the Lord to fill us with His Spirit, we're given total control of Him. And the only way that we can have evidence that He's taking control is when He has control of our tongue when we begin to speak in tongues and magnify Him. Because when one prays in the Spirit or one speaks in tongues, he's not speaking in something that his mind is fruitful of, but his Spirit inside is connected with God in a spiritual union. And he prays in a way. And so tongues are, 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 are good if they're spoken in the congregation and there's an interpretation. Because when it is we understand there's an intelligible thing that happens otherwise when tongues is spoken within the congregational setting and people are just blurting it out speaking in tongues and just losing control what happens confusion god is not the author of confusion right but if I pray in the spirit though my mind is unfruitful my my spirit is praying to god and we have this wonderful thing that it talks about in Romans chapter 8 Verse 26, for if we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit Himself prays with groanings and utterings that we don't understand. But our spirit prays to God. And God who hears is able to make all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are the called according to His purpose. You see, we leave out that first part of the tag of God working together with us, causing all things to work together for our good in order to fulfill his purpose. So when we pray in the Spirit, we are praying to God in the perfect prayer. Why? Because our mind is unfruitful. You know, we're not asking God for, you know, a new Cadillac or Porsche or whatever or a new PlayStation. We're not asking God for any of that stuff an iphone we're just we're just allowing our spirit to pray to God, and God understands what's going on. Another thing that it does, it puts us in tune with the Holy Spirit so that we pray. According to the mind of God. And sometimes we'll find ourselves praying and interceding for somebody in tongues. We don't know what's going on. We don't know why we're praying for that person. But the Holy Spirit knows he just needs someone who will cooperate with the Holy Spirit as we're praying for them. We find out later that something was happening in the Spirit that we knew nothing about. But God knew everything that was going on. And we find there was a connection there. And we're like, ooh, I feel Jesus now. It's awesome. You see how it all works together. We become the dancing hand of God. Sometimes we praise in the Spirit. Paul says, I will sing in the Spirit. I'll sing in my understanding also. How many of you all ever been in your place? You know, your, your, your place with God. And you just, you're, you're singing, and sometimes you just forget the words. Sometimes you want to forget the words. You just start singing in the Spirit, just singing in the Holy Spirit. It's great. You know, you don't even have to wonder if the tune is good or not. And God's ears is beautiful. As we sing and we pray in the Spirit. It is, our, it is our power place. It's our place where God connects with us. And we connect with Him in such a way that it's, it's utterly. It's not of this world. When we're praying in the Spirit and we're talking to God. And it just allows God to just use us as an intercessor. Sometimes it's for us. Sometimes it's for somebody else. We don't often know, but the Holy Spirit does. And how many believe that he's in control of everything? So why not just yield ourselves to him and let him do what he wants to do? There's so much more that I I wish I could say. You know, sometimes in the congregation when we have the, the interpretation of tongues, it's when God is. there's a God-given inspiration to speak in the language of the hearers, to giving them the dynamic equivalent of what was spoken in tongues. How many have ever heard a message in tongues that was that long, with an interpretation that was that long? Anybody? And we go, that's, that's not God because it didn't match. <laughs> it's just like me and my wife having a conversation, okay? Uh, I'm going to, you know, because she's a detailed person. I'm, not, I'm a headline guy. And I can tell you a story that's this long. And when she tells it, it's that long. Because she fills in all the details. Or I'll be telling the story. She'll say, oh, you forgot something. You know? But that's the way the Holy Spirit is. And sometimes, you know, we give, an interp- we give a message that long with interpretation that long. It doesn't matter. Because God, who knows what was said will bring the interpretation out, which will bring blessing to the body. But if someone speaks in the tongues in the congregation, there is no interpretation. Do you know where the responsibility lies? The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So if you ever feel led to give a message in tongues, that's good, that's wonderful. Just also feel led and be ready to give the interpretation if there isn't anyone else in the congregation to give it. And let there be how many? One, two, three. That's it. Three strikes and you're out. No more than three. To be scriptural, to line up with what the scripture says, to bring forth a message that was spoken in tongues. Sometimes God will use more than one person. That's okay. But you know, that's one area where we need a lot of instruction and it's all good. Listen, I want to see more of it. I don't want to see less of it. I want to see more. Paul says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. It's good that you speak in tongues. But don't make it where it brings confusion into the body. Here's the bottom line. Let all things be done decently and in order. God is a God of order, right? That's why we have the Trinity. And if you look, we see Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see the earth, the skies, and the heavens. We see water, we see earth. We know we see you know, just about everything is is triune. <laughs> we live in three dimensions pretty much. And there's order. But God has order in everything. He has order in the church. He didn't call us to be out of order, but He did call us to be orderly. And He called us to use these gifts that He has. Say this with me. I am anointed because I am an anointing. You know why I say that? Because when we see the word Christ, everybody say Christ. Christ. Say Christos. Christos. I'm not talking about the restaurant over on Industry. Oh. street When we say Christos, it means anointed one. Jesus Christos, the anointed one. He was named Jesus because he was the Savior of the world. He's the the anointed Savior. And so Christ in you, Colossians 127, means that you have Christ in you, the anointed one. So with Christ in you, you are an anointing. That anointing rise within you. You We don't have to feel anointed. You know, it's like we're walking through Walmart. We see somebody that's sick, and God speaks to us. We feel a nudging of the Holy Spirit to touch them. But, Lord, I don't feel anointed right now. No, it's not that you feel anointed. You are. Just Obey. To do what God's called you to do. And you know what? You're going to begin to see miracles taking place. Becky's been listening to this guy that wanted the anointing of God to heal. You know what he started doing? He started going around praying for everybody that needed healing. If he saw somebody that had a sniffle, be healed in the name of Jesus. Oh, you got a wart there, brother. Let me pray for you. And you know what? As he's doing this, as he's touching people and praying for them, you know what happens? People start getting healed. Because his faith begins to elevate. It's just like learning to walk. When you make that first couple of steps and you fall on your face, you don't stop and say, well, I just wasn't destined to walk. (laughs) You start walking. You get up, you start walking. I love what they say about Bethel School of Ministry out in in, uh, California. One of the things that you have to do before you graduate, you know what that is? One of the prerequisites for graduation is that you fail at least once. In other words, that you step out on the water and you sink. You you make an attempt at ministry. You got to fail at least once because if you don't fail, you're most likely not trying. Amen? So let God use you as his dancing hand. If you will become the dancing hand of God, if you will become a manifester of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that God has put within you, you're going to bring order to your home. You're going to bring order all around you. As you learn to pray in the Spirit and pray in your understanding, as you learn to hear from God and to share what God is saying to someone else, even to speak for God into a particular situation, which will bring encouragement and strength to somebody else. Or God will use you to bring healing to somebody by the laying on of hands. But you know, the one thing is for sure, that if you never practice those things, you'll never grow in them. You got to start somewhere. Amen? Amen. Amen. But God is faithful. God is patient. God understands. So I want to encourage you, okay? To seek God about these things. Listen, the gifts are in all of us because the Holy Spirit is in us if we've been filled with the Spirit. They're there. They're present. As we begin to become more and more filled with the Holy Spirit, that's why it tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 18, pray in the Spirit. Pray always in the Spirit for all men in all places. As we pray in the Spirit, Jude 20, building yourself up in your most holy faith. We fill ourselves up with God, the more of Him. And that's what we want. The more of ourselves we fill up with Him, the more space God has to operate through us. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.